Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Redestine tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. We bring in my guy Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor on Twitter. I saw you earlier in the week down here in Florida. You're back in the seat at uh, Jocks up in Birmingham. Um, are you with me? We'll get to the NCAA tournament in a minute, but we just had that tease uh, of detail of Kevin Durant getting kicked out of the game when he returned from his injury. Do you buy into the idea that the Warriors are in any kind of significant threat, even with all these injuries, until potentially they have to play the Rockets in the Western Conference Finals? I'm totally with you. I think they cruise. I think it's almost manipulated some of these storylines. I I do think it is interesting that Kevin Durant um, can't keep his mouth shut. He continues to get tossed. I mean, five ejections, that's the most we've seen in 15 years, and he's two technicals away from missing a game, which – could ultimately be significant if that happened to hit in the Western Conference Finals. Look, they're seven games back, but does anybody believe, including Las Vegas, that if Golden State matches up with Houston right now, they're still not going to win the series? I mean, I don't think they're going to be a heavy favorite, but I still think Golden State on the road in Houston would probably be a minus 140-150 favorite. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's the that's the takeaway. There's a lot of drama surrounding the NBA offseason. Frankly, like there's now becoming a lot of drama surrounding the NFL offseason. We spent a lot of time talking this week about the value of Odell Beckham Jr. If let's put you in the seat as the GM of the Giants, if you had to make a decision right now, would you trade Odell Beckham Jr. for a first round pick? I probably need more clay because, you know, just looking at I mean, let's just look at wide receivers in this draft, and Calvin Ridley out of Alabama is probably your top one. He's not even close to the talent of Odell Beckham Jr. So I'm going to lead. If, if I'm Dave Gettleman, I'm going to need a little bit more than just a first round. Two first rounds is absurd. There's no way he's going to get that. Um, you know, my problem if I'm New York, though, I am probably trying to deal him. He's only 25 years old, but in that final year of the rookie contract, it looks like he doesn't want to re-sign long term with New York. And you could franchise him for a couple of years. It's going to cost you a fortune, though. And ultimately, if he doesn't want to be there, we know he can be a head case. 
So I would look for a deal. I don't. I don't think just a a, a number one or first round selection is going to be enough, though. You just mentioned Calvin Ridley, who in most of the mock drafts right now is the number one receiver, and he's coming out of Alabama. And one reason I think he's down where he is is because, frankly, Jalen Hurts really couldn't throw the football last year. And I wonder on some level, what if he had had Tua Tagovailoa all season? Where might he project? Because obviously he's got incredible talent. He had a lot of success earlier in his career, almost more so than, than, than later. Where where can he project, and how much of his draft stock right now is being impacted by the fact that, frankly, Alabama couldn't throw the football very well last year? I think it's a good point. Um, you know, you, you saw what Tungvalu was able to do in the second half against a really good Georgia defense, and if he would have been the starting quarterback all year, you know, what? who knows what the rapport would have been with a guy like Calvin Ridley. You go back just a couple of years ago uh, to Jake Coker, and that's a guy that had, had great rapport with him, um, you know, in his freshman year, and then Jalen Hurts, it was a little bit different when he came in. And I just, you know, Tongue of Aloha, a more true, you know, passer, a guy that does have athleticism, but I think the numbers would have been outstanding. Um, so I still think Calvin Ridley's probably a top 15 guy. Could go as high as, what, number eight to the Bears? We had the Wonderlick scores come out now that we're talking about the NFL draft. And Lamar Jackson got a 13 on the low end, and on the high end, Josh Allen got a 37. Now, what's amazing about this is you could bet on who on what the Wonderlick scores were going to be. And I think, by the way, uh, Josh Rosen got like a 29. Sam Darnold got like a 28. Baker Mayfield, something like a 25. And then there was a big drop-off to Lamar Jackson at 13. Is that a red flag for you at this point in time when you look at what Lamar Jackson did on uh, the Wonderlick test? Uh, I don't know. I mean, because we've had some other quarterbacks. I mean, how bad was Dan Marino's? I mean, I think it was awful. Wasn't it like a 12 I think it was or like a six, I think it was like a 16. But the, my, my one thing I would say about that is, and this is an intriguing debate because you can have it like every single year. I think that what the, the 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 offenses that were being run when Dan Marino posted a low score and when Jim Kelly posted a low score and that sort of thing are a lot different than now. I actually went back and did a uh, and did an analysis of Super Bowl winning quarterbacks currently playing in the NFL. They've posted an average Wonderlick score of thirty one. So look, I mean, I'm not saying that that it, it's like impossible for uh for him to end up being a great quarterback but the lowest wonderlick score of a super bowl winning quarterback in the last 25 years basically is ben roethlisberger at 25 pretty much everybody else has done better yeah as sad as that is clay i was gonna guess it was roethlisberger um well maybe you're on to something then um, you well, know, I mean, Lamar here's Jackson. the other thing. People people will say, by the way, we're talking to Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor on Twitter. Well, Ryan Fitzpatrick got a perfect score. And my argument would be, yeah, that's probably what allowed Ryan Fitzpatrick to even play in the league. Like be, having a high score doesn't dictate that you're going to do insanely well. But yeah, how, I how think many times, it, how many times we're going to see a quarterback out of Harvard be able to survive and he's played for like seven or eight teams and he's been in the league for 15 years. Right. I mean, the reason why he can survive, I think, so long and play for so many different teams is because he is a quick study. I think his overall talent level is not that high. Um, and he makes, frankly, like really aggressive, sometimes stupid decisions. Um, and so but but I do think that that kind of uh, that kind of factors in 
a little bit. By the way, I hadn't even looked at the updated score, but Nick Foles got a 28. So so that kind of puts into perspective as well. I mean, he's right there in what the normal score would be, even if you don't want to count Nick Foles as your traditional Super Bowl winning quarterback because Carson Wentz kind of set the table for him. Nick Foles is a fairly smart guy when you look at uh, look at his performance in general. And by the way, a lot of the guys who have done poor historically, Vince Young got a 6, Jim Kelly got a 15, Donovan McNabb got a 15, Dan Marino got a 16, Terry Bradshaw back in the day got a 16. Um, but uh, that kind of puts into perspective how they've done. And again, the lowest scoring Super Bowl winning quarterback in recent history, Brett Favre got a 22 and Ben Roethlisberger got a 25. So I I always, people say, oh, it doesn't matter. And they cite like Dan Marino. I say, hey, it matters if you go all the way back to Brett Favre in basically the last 25 years. Average score is a 20. If you're not scoring an average intelligence, that's a little bit, that's a little bit alarming to me. It's a red flag. Well, and I can't decide where Lamar Jackson is going to be just talent-wise. Is he going to be more... Right. You know, RG3, or is he going to be more Michael Vick? Yeah, I think that's a fair question, too. I mean, and look, there, the easy answer here is, and people get upset about this, you cannot run the football consistently in the NFL. I have watched Lamar Jackson play every major game, I bet you have too, of his college football career. The thing that makes me nervous about Lamar Jackson is how he looked against SEC defenses. He got exposed, I think, against LSU. And and the most recent game he played in the bowl game against Mississippi State against an interim coach, he looked awful. And the SEC defenses are the most similar to what you're going to face in the NFL. And if you're not making plays against those defenses, then I question how successful you're going to be long range. Look, Tim Tebow came into the league and dominated SEC defenses for four years. And he wasn't very good in the NFL, and he's out of the league, and that's because you can't make a living throwing, I mean, running the football. You have to be able to drop back and pass on third and eight and convert, and frankly, I'm not sure that Lamar Jackson can do it. Is he worth the risk? Certainly. Is he worth a high risk? I wouldn't I wouldn't put a lot of stock uh, in him. Who would you take right now if you were the Browns? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, we've talked about this before. Saquon Barkley's probably your safest pick, but if you're going to go with a quarterback – to me, the most upside is Baker Mayfield. Yeah, it's intriguing to think about how this is all going to break out. And I'm starting to think now that quarterbacks are going to go one, two, and three, and that the Browns may be able to get their top quarterback choice as well as their as well as Saquon Barkley at four, which would mean that they get the most reliable player in the draft as well as the guy they swing for the fences with. Yeah, um, and look, and I, th- I think we're going to see five quarterbacks in the top fifteen because I think Lamar Jackson is going to end up going to the top fifteen. I think that just speaks to how desperate teams are to find the yep. right quarterback. That Lamar Jackson, I think you're right. I think there's probably a decent chance that somebody takes a flyer on him uh, earlier than I would uh, because they think they can mold him into a really good quarterback. Now, I think if you had a couple of years to have him sit back and learn, uh, to me, there are a lot of places that could make sense for Lamar Jackson. But uh, I would just be, I think you have to be a really good football team to be able to draft a quarterback in the first round and have him sit for a couple of years. And I just don't know how many places other than maybe New Orleans. And if I'm sitting back and I'm Sean Payton, I'm also thinking, wait a minute, I've got a chance to win a Super Bowl with Drew Brees before his career is up. Don't I want to get a guy who can make my team immediately better as opposed to start building for the future? If we stink for one year after Drew Brees is gone, then we'll fall to the bottom of the bottom of the pecking order, go back in, draft a new quarterback, 
I think that's probably a decision that's okay to make. Who you got in the final four? Uh, who are you rooting for? Are you on the Sister Jean train? Are you on the Loyola of Chicago Express? Or do you do you want one of the other teams to win? Who do you think will win? Well, I think Michigan's. I, I think it, it comes to an end here. You know, we've seen this before with with your George Masons, and look, and it's been a great story. And Loyola to win their first three games by a combined four points. Um, it was exciting, and then they were able to dominate Kansas State because they got a really good draw with Kansas State actually beating a Kentucky team. Um, but Loyola now is going to run into NBA talent. And Mo Wagner is going to be a matchup nightmare. Charles Matthews is playing at another level. John Beeline, when you give him extra days, um, he's one of the best X and O's coaches out there. So, uh, to me, Michigan wins the game. I would love to see Loyola just because of the intrigue of seeing, you know, the uh, David versus Goliath, which we saw with Butler and Duke. And uh, we've seen a couple of times here. But I think it's going to be Michigan. And then on the other side, you know, Malik Newman, if he plays like he did against Duke, I mean, this guy's playing at another level right now. And if Azabuki can stay out of foul trouble, I think Kansas can win. But I think Villanova is your best overall team. Um, so I think Villanova ends up winning. We've got a Villanova-Michigan final, and Michigan's defense is good enough to keep it close. But if Villanova's hitting threes, I think Villanova ultimately wins uh, their second championship in three years. So I've got Villanova over Michigan, but I'm pulling for Loyola. I'm on the train right now. Um, but I'll ultimately lay the five and a half for Michigan. So as soon as I say I'm, I'm pulling for the great story, uh, cash will win out, and I'll end up pulling for my wallet and pulling for Michigan. What do you think about you, – you said Jay Wright you think is going to win uh, his second title. We were just talking about in the open of the show, there's only two current, current college basketball coaches, Coach K and Roy Williams, who I think everybody would acknowledge are legendary Hall of Fame basketball coaches who have won two titles. What would it mean to either Jay Wright or Bill Self to get that second national title? I think more maybe to Jay Wright. Um, I just think it's expected at Kansas, and I think right now you view um, Bill Self as kind of an underachiever. I mean, they did get back to the Final Four, which is great. Um, you know, I kind of look at Tom Izzo, and look, he's been to seven Final Fours, so it's a little bit different there, but he's only won one championship, and he hasn't won one in 18 years. Yeah. So does Jay Wright all of a sudden trump Tom Izzo as a better active coach? I mean, you could make that argument, right? I mean, is Michigan State not traditionally a better basketball school with more resources than Villanova? And now you'd have two championships in three years? Um, it just seems like he's doing it with a lesser of a player. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a strong argument to be made. Lance Taylor, appreciate you joining us, my man. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, probably. Have a great weekend, Clay. See you, man. That's uh, Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor on Twitter. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Bring in now John Morosi, our baseball insider. Appreciate him rolling in with us here. So, big question, broad question for you to start, John. Let's say I've been in a slumber ever since Game 7. What have I missed? What do I need to know for the start of Major League Baseball? my friend is that uh, it appears John Carlos Stanton uh, is going to look quite good in pinstripes because uh, a two-homer debut uh, for the Yankees yesterday, uh, a great call on the radio by John Sterling for his home runs in Italian, which uh, I think Mr. Sterling invented a new Italian verb uh, that I had not yet heard <laughs> for, for to stop, but uh, he did it, and uh, it sounded very melodic and beautiful, and, and it really just, it to me, Clay, it, it underscored just the sheer potential of this lineup. Uh, sometimes we, we go through an offseason and there's a big-time acquisition, and we really overrate the impact of that particular player on uh, on his team. And listen, it's only one game, 
and a lot can change over the course of the year. We should make sure that we don't uh, get too excited based on one game. However, it, there, opening day has always carried more significance than just the one game. It often sets a tone, and so if there was anybody in the Yankee organization who had any possible doubt about how Stanton would handle the pressure of playing for the Yankees, representing that franchise, being in the middle of the spotlight, um, I think a lot of those doubts were were expelled yesterday. And, and remember, Clay, here's a player in Stanton who is – Never appeared in an MLB playoff game before. Never. Now, he's played the World Baseball Classic twice, won a gold medal with Team USA last year, so he's played in some big games, but never in the playoffs. And, and I think you've got a very hungry, motivated player who's clearly at the peak of his power, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him and Aaron Judge together. Who is your World Series prediction at the start of the season? We understand all sorts of craziness and zaniness can occur during the course of the season, but right now, who would you say are the two most likely, the best teams in your mind to meet in the Fall Classic? So Clay, my, my pick is the Yankees over the Nationals. Uh, I, I do so with some trepidation, really, on, on both sides, because with the Yankees, I worry about their rotation and, and the depth there, because uh, CC Sabathia, of course, is getting up there in years, and Masahiro Tanaka has been pitching with a partially torn UCL in his elbow for a number of years, and Jordan Montgomery is still a pretty young pitcher. But uh, I'm, I'm confident that they've got the prospect currency to go out there and make a move if they need a pitcher. Uh, they have enough flexibility under the luxury tax threshold to do so, and their bullpen is so good. Their bullpen is dominant, I think, has the potential to be dominant. Last night, Severino was showing explosive stuff, 90-mile-an-hour breaking pitches, uh, sliders that he was throwing last night. So uh, they're, just, they're a, a really good team with maybe one small flaw in the, in the rotation. But aside from that, they've, they've got a great ball club. Uh, and that being said, though, the, 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 the Nationals, I, I've got them in there as well. As, as much as, Clay, this is a team that has not yet gotten out of the first round of the playoffs, and they've been so good so many times. So either they're cursed or they're due. And I'm saying that they're due. Uh, and it, all that being said, it would not surprise me in the least if we have a repeat of last year's World Series with the Astros and the Dodgers, two quality teams that are still, uh, in my estimation, at the, in the very, very elite echelon of, of baseball teams. But the interesting thing is only one team, Clay, has made multiple World Series appearances in the last five years, and that team's the Kansas City Royals. So it's hard. It is hard to get back there. Uh, and uh, I think it really shows just how competitive – the game is with, with that many teams that truly have a chance to win the World Series. Probably 10 or 12 teams truly have a chance, which I think is certainly more than what you would see uh, in the NBA these days. We're talking to, yeah, no doubt. We're talking to John Morosi. It's interesting you mentioned the NBA because Bryce Harper's free agency is going to be NBA-like in the way that it's covered and sort of this looming uncertainty that is hanging over both the Washington Nationals and the entirety of the Major League Baseball season. How big of a story to you is where Bryce Harper is going to go, going to be all season long, and what do you think is going to happen with his contract status? It'll be a story, no question about it. Uh, he is not going to sign an extension. I can say that with almost 100% certainty. Um, he is going to be a free agent. Now, Bryce, interestingly, at his very first press conference uh, this year, effectively told the media, don't ask me about this. If you do, I'm going to walk away. Um, and, and I think in, in baseball, Clay, it's, it's one of those things where if, if he's already made it clear he's going to walk away and, and we keep asking him about it and he, and he blows us off, it's not really much of a productive 
conversation. So I really think from a standpoint of him being asked about it, he, he clearly doesn't want to be. I, I think maybe there are some players that are comfortable and saying, yeah, you know, I love this city, great great to play here, we'll see what happens when the year's over. Um, it doesn't really seem like he even wants to give those kinds of answers. So uh, I, I know I sat down with him, I, I respected that and didn't ask him about it because he's already made his comment about it. Um, I, I think that we're going to see probably a lot of speculation about where he's going to go, which is warranted and which he has to be comfortable with because if he's not going to entertain questions, then we still have to be able to talk about it. Uh, I, I still think that the, the, the Giants are one interesting possibility, uh, but, but we could also see a team that is sort of uh, arriving uh, to the scene uh, that it really wants to make a splash, whether it's the maybe the Chicago White Sox, for example. Teams that have not really been in the picture for a couple of years uh, I think can now make some noise and, and maybe make him that historic offer that he and his agent are looking for. And what kind of offer are we talking about? Do you expect him to be the highest paid American pro sports team athlete of all time? Well, right now that distinction belongs to Stanton, of course. Uh, $325 million was the amount of his guarantee. Um, I think if Harper goes out and has a great year, not just a good year, but a great year, then I think he can certainly surpass Stanton 325. I, I think that's possible. I also think it's, incidentally, I think it's also possible that Manny Machado gets something close to that range if he goes out and has a great year at shortstop and puts up huge numbers. The, the key thing is for them, Clay, both of both Harper and Machado, they are in their mid-20s. And, and that is the, the magic number here, much, even much more so than your actual home run number in a particular year. They're young enough that, much like Jason Hayward several years ago, teams are going to want to buy their prime years. And so if they go out there and have their normal type seasons for both Machado and Harper, I think um, contracts that begin with, uh, with a three in the, in the hundreds place uh, for both of them uh, would be very much within the realm of possibility. All right, last question for you. Is Mike Trout the best player in baseball right now, even though he may not be the highest paid? He still is. He still is the best player. It's, it's a very fair question. I think he's still the best player, um, best all around, most consistent. His brilliance really has not changed. It's been the same almost every year, interrupted only last year by an injury. Uh, but the, the interesting thing about Mike Trout is he has only played in one playoff series in his career, and the Angels were swept. So as we talk about the game and where baseball is right now and, and marketing its stars, they're lucky that they've got a lot of them. Uh, but I think the, the, the lack of success for the Angels in the playoffs has sort of kept Trout from having that mass appeal. I don't know that he'll ever have th- that same personality and the, and the cachet of a Derek Jeter with, with the Yankees when he was coming up. But, but the, the main difference is, Trout's team has only been in the playoffs once, and Jeter's team was in the playoffs every single year. I think in this sport, Clay, you've got to to really be part of the American consciousness. You've got to be on their minds every single year. And there may well be people, many baseball fans in this country, casual fans, who, who have a greater degree of connection with Jose Altuve now than they do with Mike Trout, because they saw Altuve win uh, last year in the World Series, and the fact that my, Jose Altuve is my height, uh, wins them, uh, right, rightly wins them a lot of admirers around the game and around the country because of just how amazing his, uh, his athleticism is. So uh, I think Mike Trout, the Angels, have some work to do if, if his notoriety is ever to equal uh, his talent. All right, la- I said last question, but you're in Ann Arbor. 
you are a Michigan Wolverine guy. You're in your team is in the final four. Yes. Compare the final four Saturday to a big game college football Saturday in Ann Arbor and also for the Michigan Wolverine family. What's that feel like? Well, it's going to be unique. Obviously, it's as a neutral site game, um, it, so it's not as though that there's going to be tailgating happening here in, in town, but uh, I, I, there'll be certainly a lot of activity at the, the, the various uh, drinking establishments that you've got here in, in Ann Arbor. Uh, there's a lot of excitement, Clay. I think this team, this Final Four team, for me, it, it snuck up on us more than with the Fab Five, certainly, and even in 13. I think, I think that team, we, we maybe saw coming more during the course of the year. This was just a, a great coaching job. I think by John Beeline, and a really just great collective effort by the team. Uh, the, the way to be able to distribute the scoring uh, around, I think, has been very impressive. And of course, uh, Sister Jean, uh, the the really the the, the figure of this this entire uh, tournament. I'm I'm eager to see. Uh, I hope that she has a chance to speak with John Beeline. John Beeline, incidentally, a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan. Uh, who when I've when I've corresponded with him in the past, it's almost always been about baseball. He's just a great, great loyal fan of the Cardinals. Um, he, uh, of course, was educated at, at Wheeling Jesuit in uh, West Virginia and coached at two Jesuit colleges. So there's, I think, there's going to be a, a mutual respect factor there between Sister Jean and the, and the Ramblers and and John Beeline, given his background. Although certainly. Uh, Sister Jean wants her team to keep winning. I, I have no, no doubt about that. And who knows? I, we've, they've been counted out before, Clay. I think that it's going to be a tough matchup for Michigan. But I think they win in the semifinals, and then we'll, we'll see how they do maybe against Villanova there in the final. It's a, they've got a great chance to win as a third seed, just as they were as a third seed back in 1989 uh, with Glenn Rice. And I lo- one last thing, was watching the games, I love the fact that uh, there, there's, there's one player on Michigan's team, uh, Abdul Rahman, who's got the, the, the undershirt that's like the full T-shirt. Glenn Rice had the same thing in 89. So when I see uh, Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman, I look at him and I say, you know what, he reminds me of Glenn Rice uh, just with, with the style there. So it brings back memories of my youth and that great 89 team, the last Michigan team to win the Final Four. The big Ramil Robinson free throws. You remember That's well, right. my wife's a Michigan grad. She hopes you're right about Saturday. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, my man. Appreciate you joining back into the so, show. Sounds great, Clay. Happy opening day to you and everybody out there. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Hopefully nobody's going to get hit by a train or surrounding the Final Four down in San Antonio. Doug Gottlieb with us now at Gottlieb Show on Twitter. You can hear his show 3 to 6 Eastern, Fox Sports Radio. Doug, good or bad for college basketball if Loyola of Chicago beats Michigan and then the winner of Kansas Villanova to win the title? Great. Great. Yeah. Because it fulfills the promise of the NCAA tournament. Have you ever ever even thought of Loyola Chicago? Like the fact, when you say Loyola in basketball, you probably think Loyola Marymount. That's what I said earlier on the show. Yep, 100%. Right. Um, So... I mean, like, look, even in Chicago basketball, which has kind of been a vapid wasteland, you know, Northwestern hadn't made the tournament ever until last year. Like, I, I, I think like in the in the pantheon of, of sports fans, like, go through the stuff. So a, a school that no one's ever heard of or thought of in the basketball landscape uh, with just a bunch of guys, you know, um, somehow miraculously wins their first three games by four points and then takes down John B. Line. And then takes down either Nova or Kansas. I mean, I, I can't think of. You know, it won't be great for the ratings. And actually, I don't know. It probably won't matter because as you're going to have a, if it's Nova and Loyola, the ratings are going to be awful. If it's Nova and if it's Loyola and Kansas, it'll be pretty good. 
Uh, but the fact is that I think everyone respects the other three names and the other three coaches. And for a guy who, you know, to have a guy who it's it's the it's the Milan High School, you know, which is which is what Hickory and Hoosiers was based upon. Yeah, I, I think it would be great to be to be totally candid. We're talking to Doug Gottlieb of the three other coaches. Bill Self has won a title, but seems to be the national whipping boy for what Kansas has been unable to achieve when they actually get into the NCAA tournament. Jay Wright, other than his national title, which sounds funny to say, hasn't prior to this year had a tremendous amount of success in the NCAA tournament. John Beeline has obviously never won the NCAA tournament. He has lost in the national title game back in 2013. Who has more to gain of the three big-name coaches and programs right now in the Final Four? Obviously, Loyola has the most to gain, I would say. Right. Of self, right, and beeline, who has the most to gain? Beeline. Because you know, winning is, one is more important than winning two? Yeah, I mean, although winning two puts you in a completely different class, right? Uh, That's what we talked but, about. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a hard one, but beeline because of at this point in his career, you know, like he's been doing this 40 years. And at this point, his career it puts him in a completely different class to get there. Um, so I, I think it's beeline, even though, I mean, if, if your discussion earlier was about two puts you in a different class, yeah, different stratosphere, yeah. So, um, like, the crazy thing is, Self actually had, he has had first-round exits, but uh, he's had a crazy amount of success, and I think he's the best game coach of the four. And I don't think you think it's really close. Jay Wright's probably second. Beeline's an incredible coach, but in terms of in-game adjustments and, and quirky things you can do to help your team win, Self's actually really, really good. And the other crazy part about it is, you know, he, this is the place where Self won his only national title, but he shouldn't have been able to, right? Like, Cal Perry's team was up nine with two minutes to go. And, uh, I mean, you're talking about epic collapses. Kansas had the ball with under seven seconds to go, and, you know, Memphis didn't foul. So, and that was the first time I can remember in a national championship game to which it wasn't discussed at the time, Billy Packer calling the game, but, you know, people had finally come around to, hey, you're up three, you need to foul. And um, so, I mean, you know, he, it took a little bit of luck for even Bill to win it, and I think Bill's an incredible coach. But, uh, you know, like I look at it, you're like, you're John Beeline, you've been doing this 40 years, I don't know how many chances you get to get back here because it takes a little bit of luck. And, and you know, like, good luck, this is a fifth-place team in the Big Ten in the regular season. Um, I would say this puts him in a different stratosphere. I, to put context out there, we said this in hour one, but only 13 guys have ever won two or more titles. Only two currently active coaches, Coach K and Roy Williams. So to kind of put that into context, if Bill Self wins a second title, let's say Kansas got it done somehow, pulls off the upset over Villanova, and then wins the title game. Is all yeah. criticism of Bill Self off the table at that point? Is there any point in ripping Bill Self at that point in time? Probably not, because this is like his least least talented team, or his his least deep team, and they've they've been some, you know, they've been through some stuff. Um, yeah, and and because I would assume you know you're going through Villanova, who they're not the defending champ, but people I think still think of Villanova as the defending champ, right? Um, and then you'd probably go, you know, say you go through Michigan. Uh, even if you go through Loyola, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, if you win those two games. Now, what's, what would be interesting is if they beat Nova and then they somehow lost to Loyola, and then they'd be like, oh, Bill Self, you can't beat you can't Loyola. can't win the big game. 
Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and that's that's what I always that's what I always think is unfair because they they can't win the big game hook that we throw on some people. The game they win to get to the big game never counts. Yeah. Like beating Duke yeah. was a pretty big game in the Elite Eight, right? I mean, that's a big win for Bill that's Self. The biggest, yeah, that's that's the biggest game of the, the, the of the tournament thus far. So yes, that's it's a great point you make. It's the it's the this guy's a choker because he didn't play well in said game in. in um, you know, in the NBA playoffs, but or or you know Clayton Kershaw, right? Like there are big games that he's pitched that he's been incredible in. There's big games that he's pitched to which you know Cardinals seventh inning he's he hasn't pitched well. Um, you know which which is it? He's only a choker against the Cardinals, or you know last year when he wears down the playoffs. Like I don't I don't get into that. Yeah, it's always fascinating because I don't know who the guy would be now, but for a long time it was Peyton Manning. I think LeBron has gotten it a lot, but. Getting to the big game, you have to win a lot of big games, and the, the big game, can't win the big game is a constantly moving target because it's moved to whatever game you lose, not to whatever game you win to get there. So I've never thought that it's that fair, but I think if you get to two titles, it makes it tough to argue that you are somehow overrated because, like we said, only Coach K and and Roy Williams right now who are coaching have actually won the titles. All right, uh, multiple titles. All right, so yeah. let's go to the games themselves. Yeah. Loyola against Michigan. How would you break it down? Well, what's 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 interesting is like John Beeline is seen as this kind of savant as an offensive coach, right? And so he brings in an assistant coach, that, you know, last two years to help uh, to help coach his, his defense. And man, has it changed! And like this is a really good defensive team. That's they're still good and hard to guard offensively, but it's you, you struggle to score against them. Um, you know, look, I think Michigan probably wins the game, and the reason is the big kid uh, Wagner, Morse Wagner, you know, the the German big. Yep. He's just he's so much more athletic, and he can stretch you out, and he's just a a hard cover for Loyola when they throw a freshman big guy on him. But I I don't think it's a. And normally you'd say Michigan and Loyola, it's a complete talent mismatch. Like I don't think that's really the case in this game. So I I think it'll be a I think it'll be a pretty close game. That I would pick Michigan to win. Loyola's got a you, you got to get stops. You got to score. You know, scoring transition. And remember, this is a Loyola team that, um, when they've been healthy, you know, they've only lost five games all year. And when they've been, when they've had Clayton Custer, their best player, they've only lost two games all season long. So, it's a really good team. They shoot the ball exceptionally well from three, um, and I think it'll be really competitive. You talked about how much luck you've got to have on that side of the bracket in particular. Loyola hits a three basically at the end of the game to beat Miami or they lose in the first round. They hit a jumper that goes up off the glass, bounces around the rim multiple times, or they lose to Tennessee in the second round. Third round, they play basically an even game against Nevada down the stretch. They win one blowout game. Michigan, for all intents and purposes, should have lost that game to Houston, but for a remarkable three and two blown free throws down the stretch by Houston. Is this the best way to pick a champ? No, I heard, you, I, I heard this argument you had um, last week, and I thought, and we've, I've discussed this in previous years. No, it's, yeah. a, it's a very, there's a very, it's a very random way to select a champion for your sport, right? You, as you said, you know, you take, you take the entire season and then you kind of throw it out the window and you go like, all right, here's some seeds. On the other hand, the interesting part is, as random as it is, um, 
Loyola Chicago was a really good team. You know, they won their league, won their league tournament. They won, you know, they won, what, 31 games, whatever. Michigan did win the Big Ten, and, so, and they were a quasi-favorite to get to the Final Four. Villanova was the favorite to get to the national championship to win it to start the tournament. And and Kansas won the Big 12, won the Big 12 tournament. So you're you're right. I mean, you're not wrong. It's a really random way, but somehow... It, it generally tends to work out, right? Like it's, it's like uh, it's a little bit like marriage, right? Like is marriage is it really smart to have you know two people cohabitate, share everything for the rest of their lives? Like you know, really is that really a great way to live your life? Like probably not. I've, I've always marriage. said, by the way, about marriage. While you're mentioning this, imagine that you take away the benefit of sex, right? If you went out there and you're like, there's a lot of people listening to us right now who live with their best friend, and it's guy or girl, right? Whoever you are. If I told you right now, hey, you're really good friends with this guy. Why don't you guys go sign a paper to share everything for the rest of your lives, and you're never able to get out of it? And if you do get out of that arrangement, like, in, you have to give him half of everything that you've earned and maybe pay him alimony. Right. Just about everybody out there listening to us right now would be like, I don't even want to sign a lease agreement with my best friend, and that might be for one year. The last thing I would do is betroth myself to him forever. But you add in sex, and everything changes, right? It is pretty remarkable when you think about what marriage represents in that respect. Right. So the idea is, yeah, is it kind of screwy? Yeah, but you know what? It kind of works. You know, if, yes. You know, most people, it kind of works for them. Most people, they, they need they need somebody else, and, and you need kind of that, that two-family, two, two-parent unit, right? Same thing with this. Um, uh, you know, last, in two years ago, Villanova was probably, Villanova, North Carolina, were kind of the best teams, and they got, like, just go look historically, and generally speaking, not always, one of the best teams win. And so, yeah, it, is it a great way to decide champion? Probably not. But I mean, is the bowl system a great way to sign a champion? I guess. I mean, I, I get. I mean, I guess Alabama was the best team last year. But yeah, I, I could make the argument that they weren't nearly the team at the end of the year. They were at the start of the year because of injuries, right? And it's really hard with their conference, opposed to the Big Ten. Like, and so that's. It's not a. It's not a. And teams get better. I mean, USC two years ago was a much better team at the end of the year with Darnold than they were at the start. They didn't get a shot in the playoff. Um, is is the NBA playoffs probably it's probably the best way to decide a true champion is the NBA playoffs. On the other hand, it's so long that guys get hurt in the middle of it, or it's so long that guys who have gotten hurt come back and play. You know, or you don't I mean, even I, dial in to the first round because you're like, there's no way by and large, if a healthy team right. goes up against an eight seed, that they're going to lose a seven game series. Now, right, right. I mean, like, look, this. Um, uh, the reason they lengthened the first round of the playoffs was to eliminate the possibility of an upset. Yes. So, so is it the best way to decide a champion? Probably not, but it kind of works. Uh, all right, so on the other side of the bracket, you've got Villanova against Kansas, two one seeds, two blue blood programs right now. Like we said, two coaches who have already won a national title in Jay Wright and Bill Self. How do you break down this game? Well, I mean, I think Villanova is, is the best team here. Um, it, you know, they're the most complete. They're the deepest. Uh, they're, you know, the only ones that are, have experience in playing a national championship game. And I also think, you know, their style matches up well with whoever they play. And it's going to be really hard for Kansas to play um, Yudoka as a bouquet 
who's their you know their starting center when when Villanova puts their center, Amari Spellman or any of their big guys, outside the three point line. Like he just stands in the paint, tries to block shots, not very mobile. And as we saw, if you, you watch him against West Virginia, West Virginia has this kid Kanate who uh, is a great shot blocker and he does he blocks some shots, but you know, they give up four threes because he's blocking shots meanwhile his man's standing there wide open. So I, I think there's a lot of matchup issues with Kansas. And then there's the depth issue with with Kansas in that their best player is Devontae Graham, and he went, uh, he went. He, it, this is a point guard's dream. He went nine games without coming out of the game ever, like nine games without coming out. Like that's awesome. You can just play and shoot and not worry about it. Um, and 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 as much as Villanova, Villanova, I think is seven threes away from making more three pointers than any team in, in one season in the history of college basketball. Kansas lives and dies by the three. So if Kansas can make their threes. Uh, and they can they can hit threes from three or four positions on the court. Um, I think they can keep it close, and they have just an incredible culture of finding ways to win games. They just do. Um, that said, boy, I'd be surprised if Villanova doesn't win this tournament. We talked a lot about the NCAA scandals for college basketball coming into the tournament. I think mercifully for the NCAA and also for the tournament in general, for by and large, no real. St- I know there's a Texas story that's kind of floating around out there, but I don't think most people care. Now we're going to reach the off season by Monday night. The season's yeah. over. Everything is put to bed. How many big name coaches do you think will leave coaching college basketball and maybe surprise people to try to go to the NBA and go get out of college basketball, partially because of this investigation? Great question. Um, I honestly don't know. Like, I thought when the Sean Miller stuff came out, like, well, he's done. He's going to the NBA, and he'll have to come back. But he's still coaching there, and he's steadfast. And like, it's, it's, the tape doesn't say that, or whatever tape it has doesn't. They're saying doesn't exist. So I, I, I swear to you, like, I, I, it could be complete speculation. That'd be unfair. So. To this point, it's right now. It's Rick Pitino is is out of coaching, and you know he proclaims his innocence. He wants to get back in. Rick Pitino doesn't know anything about anything that went on in this program. Um, and the crazy thing about Pitino is, in the in right now, if I say Rick Pitino's name, you probably close your eyes and think that's he's like the the poster boy for like the dirtiest program ever. Right? Is that is that fair? Or as of right now, I or still. A guy I still- I, I, I'm so like not really caring about NCAA rules that when I no, think no, Rick Pitino, but you also have the the thing in the, the Italian restaurant. Totally, you know, it, I still think of have, him as a great coach more than I think about him being like more than his scandals so, so off the. That, that was that was kind of my point. My point, I actually think Rick Pitino is the best coach of them all. Like he is, it's I he is he is so far ahead of. You know, all these other guys have been doing it forever. You know, Jim Beheim plays one defense. Roy Williams. Is a, a trem- he's a tremendous like coach in terms of preparation and style of play, or whatever. But he doesn't make any adjustments. He never he didn't actually even play basketball. You know, uh, John Calipari is a great recruiter. They play hard and they run pretty good stuff. But I mean, Rick Pitino with inferior talent can run circles around him a ton. Like he's actually a little bit of everything. Like recruiter, salesman, uh, you know, leader of a program, basketball coach. And then in-game coach, he's in, he's incredible. Like really, I I actually believe he's the best coach of of modern college basketball by a long shot. And and Self is probably right there, number two. And and uh, Jay Wright is becoming an incre- in that in that list. 
but he's been shamed by by this, and it's for him. It's because of it's a thousand little cuts, right? It's a couple yes. different things that have added up. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I think right now what happens with Sean Miller next is going to be the most interesting, and then if anybody else gets kind of caught up in the wash, um, there hasn't been nearly the coaching movement that there normally is, and that's weird because. You know, you would think that more teams would get caught up in the scandal. On the other hand, there's a lot of athletic directors that are like, you know what, my guy's doing it clean. He didn't get caught cheating. I'm not going to fire him. So I, I really, honestly, I don't know if there's a if there's a Black Tuesday where all of a sudden all these heads roll. But I, I don't feel like there's no tenor here in San Antonio like that's that's coming. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because San Antonio is like a, basically a big uh, collection, a, a convention of coaches. Is there much talk about the NCAA investigation when these coaches are getting around together? Is there a black cloud looming over the industry, or is it not really being talked about much? No, it's not really. I mean, you know, everything is very reactionary, and because there's no news, it's kind of reactionary. You know, people are, I would say the one thing, it actually is the coaches' convention. That's one of the things that makes it yeah. kind of unique and cool, is it's the National Association of Basketball Coaches' Convention. Um, is, you know, there's a Marvin Bagley story where Bagley totally legally, you know, Nike employed his dad. This is, this is a story that everybody in basketball knew, just I don't think it mainstream people, you know, mainstream maybe media or fans knew, uh, that Marvin Bagley's dad was employed by Nike, ran a couple AAU teams, and then, you know, he only shows up at, at Duke, and it is interesting that, uh, this is maybe kind of T, I don't know, if, I, I don't know if you're a Calipari defender, but, you know, here's a guy who has probably, what, uh, four first-round draft picks in his starting lineup, and then there's it's not a scandal, but his best player's dad did, you know, coach Nike teams, and they moved around the country, you know, following the swoosh, if you will. And there's never a whisper of anything at at Duke, right? So uh, I would say that's the only thing that people are discussing because there's a recent story, I think it's in the Oregonian, uh, about it. But outside of that, no, it's kind of, I mean, this uh, honestly, it's it's it's. Because John Beeline does it so clean, uh, because I think people believe Jay Wright uh, does it the right way. I think people believe Porter Mosier. I mean, nobody's cheating for their guys. You know, uh, Bill Self obviously lost his best income to recruit, but it wasn't to the FBI thing. It was he was driving around a car that you know no one could uh, identify who it belonged to, but there was never a tie to the university trying to provide him with. You know, it's more probably an agent getting involved. So with with all those things, Billy Preston, who would have been their starting power forward. So with all that stuff, like three, you know, four, three definitely really clean programs, and one to which you're like Kansas is not seen as super super dirty. So um, I think that that ends up at least portraying the image of hey, you know, the guy's not doing it the right way, can't get here anyway. So why are we talking about it? Have a fun weekend. Uh, enjoy the games. Who'd you pick, brother? I picked before the season started. I mean, sorry, before the tournament started. I got Nova to win it all, but I picked the Nova-Michigan final. So somehow I've gotten it no right. Way. So I'm really? sticking with that. Yes. Yes. So even amid all the craziness. Uh, good stuff, my man. I'll talk to you. Later. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. We got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a Robot Pachinko Machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.